This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Okay, welcome to Wayne's World. It's Wayne's World with Wayne Goldsmith. Wayne Goldsmith uh, joins me. And now, Wayne, just let me get this right. Your website, wgcoaching.com. That's the one. And you can get you on Facebook as well. Yeah, and get me on Facebook and LinkedIn. And I think if you stand on uh, a high spot in Wellington and yell loudly enough, the voice will carry across the Tasman as well. Right. Uh, fair enough, too. I know exactly how you feel, because normally I'm I'm like that, except when I've got man flu, uh, and then the voice <laughs> starts going. Uh, fascinating, especially with the World Cup coming up, and when we talk about pressure um, and uh, the ability to deal with pressure, but also the um, effects that pressure can have on, on various individuals, Wayne. And, and I, you've sent some examples through, and I've, I've thought of a few myself, but firstly, um, is pressure real? Well, that, that is a, a great question. It's, I, I think that, that you meet a lot of different athletes coming from many, many different backgrounds and coaches and officials as well. And, you know, I, I find some people, even even when I've been to Olympic Games, that that some people absolutely thrive on that environment. They go, wow, the best athletes... Olympic Games, I can't wait to get started. This is so, this is, and the, the guys in in Japan are exactly the same. That that there will be some who go, man, I'm in Japan, I've trained for this, I can't wait to get started. And at the same time, there'll be people in the same team from the same background doing ostensibly the same stuff, going, oh my god, what am I going to do? It's the World Cup. I shouldn't even be here. I'm not up to this standard. So. In terms of, yes, there are big events and there are high-pressure situations that cause people stress, but a lot of it is the way that you look at it. A lot of it is the way you prepare. And, yeah, look, it is real for some people, but it's very, very manageable. Yeah, interesting. Actually, Wayne, what I'd say as well, though, is, is and I'd be interested on your, your thoughts on this, that we look at these World Cups or you know, Ashes Tests or whatever it might be, a Grand Finals, but it's the, the stress can be there for for amateur sportsmen, for kids, for people just going out on a on a Saturday for a big game. As far as they're concerned, yeah, it, it is. So I think the, the the things largely around expectation. So you know, you might have a I don't know an under nine football player going into their grand final this weekend. Now, the ball is the same size and roughly the same pressure. The rules are exactly the same as they've played all year. The goalposts are the same width. They're probably playing on a ground that they've played several times and is going to be more or less, again, a standard width, standard length, standard line markings. Ostensibly, there is absolutely no difference between the round games and the under-9 grand final this week. However, 
It starts, you know, mum and dad saying, it's your grand final this week. We've got to get some new boots. You've got to have a special protein bar because it's your grand final. And and over the over the week, over the two or three weeks leading into it, they've got school friends, they've got family, they've got friends, grandma's ringing them and saying, oh, it's your big grand final this week. So we start to get that model in the kid's head. Oh, hang on a minute. This is completely different to everything I've done so far. And we know anything you try for the first time. Do you remember when you got in a car for the first time and you're going, I don't know how to set my mirror. Where do I put my seat? How do I indicate? Everything that you do for the first time, there's a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of uncertainty, and that uncertainty leads to to stress. And by saying to kids, hey, this is your grand final, this is it, by starting to do that, they go, oh, maybe this isn't something I've done before and this isn't something I've experienced for weeks and weeks and now I have uncertainty and uncertainty leads to stress. And I I say to parents and everywhere from kids in the under-9 football team to AFL players, don't change anything in the last week. Keep it the same. Keep it simple. Stick to your routine. There is, in reality, no difference. Now, you know, it, it's um, the different people's perceptions, but what are things that people can do, Wayne, to deal with pressure? What are things that people do do? Well, some of the things is to make sure that when you're away from what you perceive to be the stress environment or the pressure environment, that you're relaxing. And doing something that's occupying your mind. So I think one of the dumb things that players quite often do Olympic Games or World Cup tournaments is they play where they're experiencing pressure. Then they go and do media events where they're being reminded of the pressure. Then they go back to their room and they review the game, which is still... I I, I really encourage athletes to have another passion and coaches because in these tournaments are incredibly stressful times for coaches. So the coaches go back from their room and write... they watch video, they play some sort of um, maybe engaging game, they read a book, they go and take some photos, they go for a swim, they go to the gym, they do some exercise, they go out to dinner, they catch up with friends and other uh, colleagues who are not connected with the team, but they have an environment around them where they can think about and experience other things that engage them. I think one one of the dumb things that we often say to players, oh, look, go back to your room and just relax and unwind. That doesn't work. Most players will go back and they'll dissect and they'll analyse and they'll hang out with other players and talk about their game. I encourage people to have other passions, other things they love to do and other experiences. The second thing, of course, is you've got to prepare for it. You have to prepare for pressure. And and it's simple things, simple things that, that... and I, 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 a lot of stories from from sports like like cycling and, and triathlon, for example, that a lot of people say, well, I won't go for a ride today because it's too windy. And I won't go for a ride today because it's raining or oh, if I'm a surf swimmer. I won't go to the surf today because the surf's too big or I won't go to the surf because it's a bit cold. And all of a sudden they're in a competitive environment where it's windy and cold and big surf, things that they've never experienced and they stress out because they've never learned how to prepare. They've never learned how to compete in those environments. So the, the line I use, Miles, is this. I say, say to people, you've got to make training more challenging and more demanding than the competition you're preparing for. Not talking about little kids, not talking about under-8s and under-9s, but when you're talking about seriously competitive professional athletes, athletes working at the top of their game, 
They've got to make sure that their training environment is as tough and as difficult and as challenging as the competition environment that they're going into. Because competitive sport's not a handicap event. They're not going to get to uh, the World Cup in Japan. And, uh, you know, if you're Australia and it's a little bit cold, you're not going to be able to say to England, listen, guys, can we hold this a little bit later in the week when it cools down because we've never trained in hot conditions? You know, it's not a handicap event. The, the, for athletes where winning is important, they've got to prepare to be successful in any environment. And that then when they turn up, they go, yep, sure, it's cold or it's hot or it's rainy or it's diff- it doesn't matter. It doesn't give them any stress because they've prepared in those conditions and in that environment. And stress, though, if people don't manage it, it can lead to anxiety even further than that to, to sort of mental uh, breakdowns. I, I've, I'm thinking of various examples, like the people who've suffered from it, uh, the Marcus Truscothics of this world in, in the cricketing world, there's been others as well. Johnny Wilkinson, who um, I, I um, was talking to Inga Tuigamala a couple of years ago, and he said that, that um, Wilkinson actually came over in 2003, straight after the World Cup, over to Inga's place to stay just to get away from everything because it had basically got too much for him. And is is it, we're seeing more and more of this, Wayne, is it because the pressure's getting greater because of the extra scrutiny, social media, etc., the professionalism, the amount of money in the game? Or is it just that people are more willing now or able to, to open up about it? Yeah, excellent question. I, I think it's a combination. You, you you could get away from it. You could get away from it where if you were playing in the Northern Hemisphere and you were living in the south, Southern Hemisphere, uh, even New Zealanders and Australians, you could get away from it to a degree by uh, you know going away to a training camp somewhere in Europe and where the media wasn't going to get easy access. And, and before social media, yeah, there's no doubt that you could get away from it. You could get away from that constant reminder about the game or your own performance or the expectations of the public. And, you know, now, fortunately or unfortunately, every human being on the planet is one Facebook post, one LinkedIn connection, one Twitter feed away from basically everybody else. And it's very hard to shield people from it. However, again, I think you've got to prepare athletes just to deal with that and learn how to to manage that environment. And I know certainly going to Olympic Games and uh, that you talk a lot with athletes about managing their social media, about managing their phone, what about what they're reading, what they're listening to, who they're listening to, and so on. I think some of it is too, is one of the greatest things that's happened certainly in my lifetime in the industry is that professional players, high-profile people, role models have been increasingly comfortable talking about their own battles with mental illness discussing the issues they've had and people go wow they're not superhuman they're doing super things and they're incredible human beings but they're not superhuman and they're vulnerable and they've got issues that they've had to work through but there's there's no doubt that, that coming forward and people talking about their mental illness issues and their battles as as it should leave some important lessons to coaches to athletes and to parents And one of the messages I give to parents all the time is a very simple one. Never allow who your child is to be defined by their sport. And what I mean by that is that your child, if they're eight and they're playing football, they're not a footballer. They're a child who plays football. 
if they're an 11-year-old who swims butterfly, they're not a butterfly swimmer. They're a child who swims butterfly. I think what happens, and we see this with mental illness issues uh, with the professionals, is that their whole life they've gone, you're a rugby player, you're a rugby player, you're a rugby player. This is my son, the rugby player. And their whole life, everything about them, their identity, their purpose on this planet, everything about them has been tied up in them being this rugby player or football player or swimmer or tennis player. And then they retire. And all of a sudden they go, my God, who am I? I'm nobody now. My whole life, my identity, my respect, my purpose, my finance, who I am as a human being has been this thing and I'm not doing it anymore. My God, I'm nobody and the, the number of these high-profile athletes who've battled with mental illness who will say so much of it has been that they've, they've allowed or people have, have made it that who they are as a human being is directly connected to what they do. They're identified by their sport, and then the sport's not there anymore, and they have a loss of identity, and that leads to some terrible mental illness. So if you're a parent dealing with little kids messages don't allow their sport to define them build them as wonderful kids support them love them build their values and allow who they are to define their sport not the other way around very well said wayne in fact i um, just recently a few months back i i um, had a, a fantastic interview with an ex-all black called nev McEwen, who'd been through um, alcoholism driven by that and, and he's written this book about his road to, to sort of redemption and refinding himself and overcoming I think he ended up in prison for a while and it's called When the Crowd Stops Roaring and exactly what you say Wayne that that's all he knew his whole identity was based around him being a top rugby player both at provincial and all black level and he just didn't have any mechanism to cope with that not being there anymore and it can have some really, uh, you know, some some really interesting issues around things like um, the divorce rate in the first three to five years for NRL players, certainly AFL players. I know here, I don't know the data in rugby, but it wouldn't surprise me. The divorce rate's relatively high, and it's it's because we've we've had these these guys that we've gone, you're a footballer, you're a footballer, you're a footballer. Everything about them has been based on this almost rock star mentality and, and their, their money and their, their, um, their identity has been very much shaped about this role that they play as a footballer. And in that period, quite often between 20 and their early 30s, they develop a relationship and maybe get married. And then they retire and they go, not only am I not sure who I am, my partner doesn't know who I am because I'm, I've just played this role. of the, Now I'm no longer a player. I'm no longer rich. I'm no longer a celebrity. Um, we've got to rebuild our relationship again on things other than this identity that I've created for myself. And it was a, it, I've read a lot of, of, of data on this, particularly in the AFL here, on the divorce rate and the marital breakdown, the relationship breakdown, those first three to five years after player retirement. And thankfully, again, because so many people have spoken about it, that there's now counselling programs and relationship guidance and programs that help people transition out of sport with a focus not just on who they are but on their relationship management and ensuring that they've got relationships uh, they're building them and continuing to grow them over time in that post-player period so I don't look it's a fascinating 
fascinating time because you know we're all we're all focused on goals and tries and winning and losing and and world records and every and we're all focused on this physical side and this performance side of sport this mental and emotional stuff far more important because everyone's going to be a human being sooner or later when they retire they're going to be a human being and it's the human qualities that are vastly more important than any performance qualities they've got. And just finally, Wayne, you, you raised some very interesting points there about the, the um, personal life pressures of being a sports fan, especially you look at likes of cricketers. I don't know how they do it. They're away from home so, so long, and, and not just with their partners, but with their children as well. They'll be sort of disruptive thing. How many of these professional sporting organisations now are trying to manage that and trying to help their players? Yeah, well, they all are. And part of it is is a, a risk management exercise that they've got to be seen to be providing outstanding support services for the players. And part of it is a just a real situation, a, a happy, contented human being with strong relationships, a strong sense of, of self, someone who's just, in simple terms, enjoying life and comfortable with who they are as a human being. They're going to play better. They're going to perform to an optimal. It's just common sense. I mean, you can't have a kid, for example, living in a home with home stress, uh, with a poor diet, uh, who doesn't sleep, and then say, oh, they're going to be a really good student, though, even though all these other things in their life aren't in place. They're not sleeping. They're not eating. they're They're not given any support, love, and kindness at home, but they'll still be a great student. It doesn't make any sense for anyone. So, yes, the the answer is absolutely organisations are all waking up the fact that the, the support they can give the players in their relationships, uh, their humanness, the other areas of their life is not only a great thing to do, but it's also going to reflect very positively on their performances. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more sports thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.